0: Hi, everybody. I'm Karen Hartglass. You are listening to It's All About Food. Thank you once again for joining me today. If you're new to the program, welcome. As it says in the title, this program is all about food, and you may not realize how so many things on this planet are connected to our food choices. We try and cover it all. In addition, I became a vegan 35 years ago. I was a vegetarian longer than that. And I currently promote not only a vegan diet, but a healthy whole food plant diet. Because I believe not only is it the best thing we can eat as human beings, but it's also the healthiest for our home, planet Earth. It's the most sustainable, the least toxic and it's also the kindest, the most compassionate. So, thank you for joining me here. We are focusing today on part two of the series I am presenting here, thanks to Tamara Bedich Esquire, on vegan discrimination cases. It's really fascinating. So, today my guests are Dr. Judent Rowley, Astrid Prevost, and Tamara Bedich. Dr. Jeanette Raleigh holds a Ph.D. in law and has a special interest in veganism and human rights. She has published widely and presented globally on the subject of legal protection for vegans. She founded and chaired the Vegan Society's International Rights Network. Last year, she and Dr. Carlo Prisco edited Law and Veganism. International Perspectives on the Human Right to Freedom of conscience. Dr. Rowley is the driving force behind a decade of symposiums on vegan rights. She has given evidence in Mr. Kazmijana's case. We heard from him last week. And she has given oral evidence for Canadian firefighter Adam Knauf. We also have Astrid. Prevost, who is an ethical vegan and aspiring dietitian. The key word there is aspiring, and you'll find out why. She battled bulimia for several years until veganism gave Astrid the strength to create boundaries, to reject what she didn't want, to say no. In respecting other animals, she found self respect. Those boundaries are being tested now by a cooking class that demands Astrid use animal products or risk failing. Astrid offered to substitute animal ingredients with vegan ones and submitted a doctor's note. When both were rejected, she initiated a lawsuit in France for discrimination. And we're bringing back Tamara, Betty who is an ethical vegan animal rescuer employment attorney. Tamara is a past president of the National Lawyers Guild, New York City chapter. She is chair of the Animal Rights Committee. When she's not championing the rights of women in the workplace, she is organizing webinars or rescuing birds in distress. She is mom to two FIV plus tomcats. I'd like to know, Dr. Jeanette Rowley, about you and your work and your book I know you've worked all around the world and perhaps you can highlight some of the cases that you've done maybe what you've learned from some of them what to do what to not do what things are possible what things are not possible is that too much to chew
1: (laughs) I'll start with how I got started with the international vegan rights alliance um In the UK, in 2010, we were about to have some new equality legislation, and the Equality and Human Rights Commission published a draft code of practice, and in that draft code of practice, they used veganism as a way of describing a belief that comes within the legal meaning of philosophical belief. And that's because the Equality and Human Rights Commission have a statutory duty to monitor, and um, make sure that human rights law has been implemented properly across the UK and equality law. So they were aware that veganism had been protected since 1993 at the European Court of Human Rights. So they used veganism as an example of a qualifying philosophical belief in their draft code of practice, which for me was wonderful because we'd never had a reference in a formal document before to refer to about our equality rights. Um, But when the final version was published, the vegan examples had been removed and replaced with um, religious beliefs that were qualified in in case law. So I started thinking that, well, I was very frustrated and I started thinking that this, this isn't right. You know, you've got to have some reference to a philosophical belief because the protected characteristic is religion and belief, not just religion. And the idea of philosophical belief is less well-known, less understood internationally and nationally. And I just felt we really need to um, bring to the foreground more protections for philosophical beliefs and particularly veganism. And I wanted vegans to have some uh, proper authoritative guidance and some knowledge. So from then, my animal rights activism changed into vegan rights activism. And I started looking into human rights law. I founded the uh, International Vegan Rights Alliance. And I just set about um, supporting vegans from then on. So we've had annual conferences. We have a, a declaration that's been standing now for about 13 year, 11 years. Um, and we have different themes at our conferences. So we might look at uh, vegan rights in education, consumer rights, uh, rights in employment, um, Uh, lots of different issues that vegans face in their everyday life. Um, So, yes, I've been around the world giving talks and conferences I publish on this subject, and I'm totally committed to making sure vegans are protected under human rights law and equality law, uh, because law grants us those protections, so why not use them? They're there. And for me, it's not about vegans having a tangible benefit in any way at all although there there will be a tangible benefit. They will be able to eat food or they will be able to be exempt from a a school trip or something like that. But it's more about the impact that accommodating vegans has on policy and practice. Because if you have to create policy that accommodates people who want to live with compassion, then we're moving forward and taking steps towards a society that respects animal rights. So for me, uh, vegan rights are... Um, an element of the animal rights campaign because it changes the policies that we need to change to bring about animal rights in our society. And I usually say that it makes no sense to talk about animal rights if we're not going to change the way we live as human beings. We've got to have compassionate policies that sustain compassionate living and allow people to adopt compassionate living. So that's that's all about it really, and that's me. (laughs) I
0: love it, that's brilliant. We do need compassionate policy. And I, I'm not a fan of capitalism in general because it lacks compassion. And I know there's a movement towards compassionate capitalism, if that's possible. <laughs> but I would support something like that. Because we we shouldn't just be supporting policy for profit and nothing else, because it's going to destroy all of us. And it and it
1: absolutely. is. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> Yeah, so that needs to change. Okay, we're going to get back to you because I know you have so much experience and so probably a gazillion stories to share. But let's let's go over to France. Maintenant, bonjour, Astrid. It's a très grand plaisir de de vous rencontrer. And your story is fascinating and requires so much courage. So before we get into that, I'm just going to applaud you for what you are trying to accomplish. And let's just get a little summary from you. You're trying to become a dietitian, and that requires one hoop to jump through that you don't want to.
2: Yes. Well, thank you very much. Bonjour. Hello. And thank you for having me today. So, my name is Astrid. Um, I'm an aspiring dietitian, and I've been an ethical vegan for eight years now. I want to become a dietitian because it's very important, I think, to spread the word that you can be vegan and in good health, that it's even better for your health, it's better for the animals and for the world. And I think this goes through nutrition a lot. And also, I wanted to work on nutrition because I personally have a history with food I used to be bulimic. To struggle with bulimia and becoming first vegetarian and then vegan was a huge help for me to overcome bulimia because it really helped me to settle boundaries. From a very young age, I totally understood where meat came from, I understood it was animals, dead animals that we well, that were that suffered, and I totally disliked it, but I never dared to say anything. I didn't dare to ask to become a vegetarian because I wanted to fit into the mold. And so I forced myself into eating animals. And when I became a vegetarian and then when I learned about dairy and eggs, I also, uh, well, I just became vegan to be logical with myself. Uh, it totally helped me to overcome bulimia because this was allowing myself to say, okay, I don't want this. And whatever you think about me, I won't accept this for myself. Um, and so, to come back about the dietitian degree, there is one exam that you may take, that you must take when you are taking this dietitian exam. It's a cooking class, basically. And in this cooking class in France, they compel you to use animal products. I've asked not to use animal products, they said no. I had a doctor's note saying that I shouldn't use animal products because of my history with food and that it reminds me of two bad memories. And first of all, they accepted. And then like 10 days later, I got a note, I got a call actually from the administration telling me that this was not possible and that everyone should take the same exam with the same ingredients. So, well, obviously I asked myself a lot of questions at first and I didn't know what to do, but then I decided to bring my case into justice because that's not fair and that's not fair to me, that's not fair to animals and that's not fair to other vegans. So yeah, that's my story.
0: I just want you to know I'm sending you a big hug. I just want to hold you for a moment because what you're doing is so courageous. I have a history in France, and I can't say I, I understand exactly what you're going through, but I understand a lot of it. So I lived in France, in Aix-en-Provence from um, 1992 to 1996, and I was the only vegan, I think, in the country. <laughs> there must have been others, but they were all in the closet. And uh, it was it was challenging, but you know, I could get away with it because I was a crazy American. And, you know, everybody would laugh at me and, you know, and they would invite me to dinner and they were happy to make me, you know, their pasta with olive oil or whatever. And and they were very uh, welcoming and accommodating because I was not changing their culture or who they were and the french are so connected to food and culture and doing things right and raising children in the white in the right way there are expressions in french about raising your children correctly and if you don't it's just the worst thing possible there's just so much entwined with it so i really applaud you for your bravery and you have to go through with this. Thank you very much. And and I have it's just, just a story. It doesn't even have to do with food. But I was enrolled in the University d'Aix-Marseille, the uh, Marseille-Aix-en-Provence University. I did it. One reason was to have a student visa so that I could stay legally in France, but also um, I was I was enjoying studying. So I was at the Aix-en-Provence campus which wasn't I think as good as the Marseille campus and I was taking music classes and German classes and this was around the time where there was a new anti-smoking policy in France where you weren't allowed to smoke on campus and everybody was smoking everywhere (laughs) and I was the crazy American who came from a place where you couldn't smoke in a lot of places and I was really crazy at that time when I would travel in the airports, which didn't allow smoking, and I saw somebody smoking, I would go up to them and say, you know, smoking isn't allowed here. And they would ignore me and I would take the cigarette from them. <laughs> I wouldn't do that now. I mean, it, it's so dangerous. And unfortunately, nothing happened to me, but that's who I was back then. And I went to the the principal or the president of the university at the ex office and told him you know people are smoking here and it's against the rules and he was basically like you know I don't care and that was the attitude and I have a feeling that even the policies that may be helping you in some way most people just ignore and they get away with it for a long time until somebody like you comes along and not only changes it but helps people understand why it's important to change because it is important and it it isn't it really isn't about the French and who they are. The French are wonderful and have brought so much to the world. They, there's just got to be a way to, to educate them and help them open their hearts and realize we all need to move forward to a better place. It's hard. Yes,
2: well, actually, I think it was a lot of ignorance what happened to me and why they wanted to force me to cook with these animal products, because... Well, at first, when they when the administration called me back to tell me it was not possible to cook without animal products, they thought it was because of allergy, because you know, on a medical certificate in France, the reason is not written down because that's medical secrecy. They shouldn't tell why uh, you are well, you must do something or not do something. So they couldn't think about any other reason than allergy for someone not to want cooking without animal products so they they suggested that i could cook with uh, the whole equipment to protect myself from the the animal product thinking i was allergic but i told them no that's not the problem i don't want an equipment i don't want to cook animal products and they were like lost totally lost they didn't understand
0: yeah they don't understand i had a friend tell me that when we talked about foie gras He was absolutely convinced that the ducks and the geese enjoyed being fed with a tube being shoved down their throat. He said, they all run to be fed. They must like it. Yeah. It's it's very difficult to change your foundational beliefs. So Jeanette, I'm just wondering, have you been involved in anything like this in any of your cases around the world?
1: I deal with over three hundred um, issues from vegans every year, so I've I've dealt with thousands now at this point in time. But what's exceptional, I think, um, in Astrid's case is the relationship to the um, eating disorder that she was experiencing previously, and I, I I think that that's not you know related to the legal elements, but I think that's. That's very new to me. And Astrid and I were having a conversation this morning and I I was I was talking about the significance of that for other people who've got eating disorders. Um, people might be assisted by this in ways we can't imagine, uh, you know, once she publicizes the information. I, I think it's wonderful that she's identified that there's a relationship between what's going in the body and the actual eating disorder and, and how she's come to this position now that, that's the fascinating difference for me in this particular case. I, I I have dealt with vegans with eating disorders before, but they're already vegan and the reason I'm involved is because their rights aren't be respected when they're in hospital or when they've been treated um, but that's that's because they were already vegan and their veganism has been taken as a, a restrictive diet and a component of their eating disorder but but this is a new um, an interesting case uh, for me.
0: Is bulimia going up in France or is it becoming more well known? I don't remember cases of it when I was living there in the 90s, but could be nobody was talking about it.
2: Well, it is quite well known. It's more anorexia that is uh, that is well known here. And when I was a teenager, um I remember every teacher was very afraid that uh, the young ladies would become anorexic because you know we wanted to look like models or whatever. So there was a lot of prevention uh, towards anorexia, but not so much bulimia, but still it is known, let's say
0: there's a, a belief that French people, especially French women, are slim and don't get overweight. And I found, I I wasn't collecting any data, but I remember seeing all of these women to a certain age that were overall relatively slim. And then then there were the older women. There was like a gap in between. Like there were these young to middle-aged women, slim. And then all of a sudden they all became overweight grandmothers with black stockings. And I was wondering, what was I seeing and what was the disconnect there? But it's not true. And there have been a number of books where people have written that in France, people are, have better weight and they're slimmer and it does it have to do with what they eat and the culture. But I think there's a lot missing there and the stress that's put on people is, has not been told enough.
2: Yeah, sure. And I think it's less less and less the case that uh, French women are very slim. Uh, we have more and more overweight and obese people because uh, people tend to eat like a lot of uh, processed food and a lot of meat and dairy. And that's increasing. And actually, what I see now is that there is um, a gap between the social classes Poor people Mm -hmm. now are much more overweight, are much more obese, and they eat much more meat and bad quality meat. So there is still this belief that uh, poor people need meat because otherwise they will be uh, very weak and so that they need this. But in the facts, actually, they eat more meat even than rich people. So that's why they get as sick as they do. Also,
0: I'm going to take the blame for that. I think the United States has shared a lot of the culture here and and with the chains restaurants that have come out and I did notice uh, I was back in France last year and I hadn't been there for a while and I had noticed a lot of the restaurant culture had changed there were more to-go restaurants more fast food restaurants and that just I mean three decades ago that just didn't happen I used to crave Chinese takeout when I was living in France, it didn't exist. And now it's all over the place. So that that change, I mean, I'm sure it has some advantages, but it's, it, it's, uh, it's a problem. France also has a number of laws and maybe Jeanette, you could speak on this in other countries, but I know in the school system, for example, they recently, maybe in the last few years, made it a requirement that you had to serve meat. And I was surprised to see that when it happened, because I thought France was moving a little more open about allowing different things. And this was just like, no,
2: you have well, to serve in, meat in the schools. In schools, it's uh, it's not logical, actually, because there are some laws now implementing um, vegetarian meals, not vegan. Vegan is still illegal in schools, But there is this law saying that you should have in every school one vegetarian meal per week at least. But on the other hand, there is this law text that you talked about uh, that was voted in um, 2011. And that says that children should have at least uh, four times meat on uh, twenty out of twenty meals, and four times fish. And also, that is that there is one dairy product compulsory at every meal. So, because of this dairy product, even just having one vegan vegan meal per week is illegal. So, yeah, that's crazy.
0: Now, can children get out of that with a doctor's note if they have milk issues?
2: Yes, they can. But still, I think this is like very bad to make it uh, to make it look like this is a pathology. I mean, veganism is not a pathology. Vegetarianism is not a pathology. So, yeah, that's crazy.
0: It is. But sometimes you have to take little steps and maybe Jeanette could speak on this where you look for a crack somewhere that you can get in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Astrid's bringing her case under the um, European Uh, Convention on Human Rights. So it's Article 9, The Right to Freedom of uh, Thought, Conscience and Religion. And that um, article is derived from the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So uh, Article 18 under the Declaration says that everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion. Um, And This is also repeated in the International Covenant. So we've got an international agreement that everybody's got the right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion. And and that includes um, convictions that are sincerely held. uh, And it includes the word belief. So uh, there is no hierarchy in law, in international law or European law. If, you know, a a qualifying religious belief is no more important or no more protected than a qualifying non-religious belief or philosophical belief or a set of convictions that equal a belief. They're all equal in law and equally protected. And this is the uh, article that I started with way back, you know, 13 years ago. This is the most important article for vegans because not only does it protect vegans in theory uh, and according to what the Human Rights Committee have said, but the European Court of Human Rights has also recognized that vegans are protected under Article 9 way back in 1993. this is this is really important, and I think you know the more vegans make use of this um, article and this legal provision, the the the, the more uh, we can get policy changes in schools and all, all right across the public sector.
0: Are other countries like France where they have rules for the schools what can be served and not well, served?
1: It, it, it's it's interesting really because although the international community have agreed that everyone's got the right to a religion or a belief, and everybody's got equal protection. Each nation must interpret that legal provision in their own way. So some countries might think, well, a belief means it's it's got to have a religious element or a spiritual element. So, so th- all countries have problems defining a philosophical belief or, you know, a non-religious belief uh, that's a spiritual believer. They're, they're more happy with a religious belief because there's a deity, uh, there's some values related to faith. Um, and there's there's a manifestation where people might might worship together or alone. And there's some like obvious traditional, historical, uh, practical manifestations that everyone can recognise. But with philosophical beliefs, it's less so. Uh, but the Human Human Rights Committee have made it very clear that um, non-religious beliefs and uh, philosophical beliefs are protected equally, and the right to freedom of of conscience, as we call it in the short term is far-reaching and profound. It includes new and emerging beliefs. Um, There's no hierarchy. So they've made it very clear what the intention behind the the provision is. Uh, And I think, you know, the the more we make use of it, the the better it will be. Mm -hmm. In Austria and Germany, um, the protection of belief in their constitution doesn't include, uh, well, it didn't include veganism for a really long time because they had a special word for it, and it, it basically meant a worldview. You had to have a worldview if it wasn't religious. And in their eyes, veganism didn't meet that definition of worldview, um probably because legislators didn't know much about veganism, but it definitely is a worldview. You know, there's mm-hmm. different tenets to individual veganism. so 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 yes, I mean it, uh, veganism is protected now in Germany and in Italy uh, and in the UK. Uh, under their own national legislation, it's protected in Europe under the European Convention, and and we're making progress. Uh, we're getting there. I'm
0: applauding you. Thank you. It's it's very encouraging that that provision exists. Do they serve halal and kosher meals in school in France?
2: Do you know uh, they they don't. They serve uh, meals without pork or with pork. But for halal or kosher, then they just don't take the the meat. And so usually they serve fish instead of the meat. Okay. (laughs) Wow.
0: So what is the timeline now, Estrid, with your case?
2: Well, right now it's uh, in the middle of it. You know, it's this time when there are observations from me and my lawyer and counter observations from the administration. Uh, I think it will take some months before I have any results, and I hope that uh, it will be positive for me. But even if it's not positive, um, it's possible for me to go to the European Court of Human Rights. If uh, I lose in France, I can bring this to to the European level. Good.
0: Are there other people like you in France? Have you met others? Are there other people who want to be dietitians and are there vegan doctors in France that you there, know
2: of there are very few very very few of them uh, but there are some and there are some vegetarian or vegan dietitians but from well the ones i know they just let it go for the day of the exam and they think to themselves okay i'm just going to conform on the day of the exam and tell me well do as i'm done as i'm told um but actually i could not do this and especially given my history with food i could not allow myself to crush my boundaries down just for one day you know it was well it was just not possible
0: i understand i'm just curious about the the vegan doctors and what they are allowed and not allowed to do with their patients, because, for example, if you had someone come in who had type two adult onset diabetes and you knew you could advise them to have a certain type of diet, are they allowed to even mention not eating animals? In Well,
2: their... here, doctors don't speak so much about food, actually, they they're mostly about treatments and medicines but it's mostly the dietitians who give food advice. Mm. And, well, I don't know about the other dietitians' practices, so I don't know if they allow themselves to, to give advice to for people to cut meat or at least to eat a lot less meat or not. But what we are told in the, in the classes is uh, that meat is very important, that dairy is necessary. So, you know, it's still... Like we are very late actually.
0: Well, I know in the United States, our medical doctors don't get much nutrition training, if any. And many people rely on their doctors for health information. And it's just fascinating that the doctors don't know anything. And yet we go to them, what should I eat to improve my health? There's a big disconnect there. And we're working on in the United States to change that. And I'm sure it's similar around the world. Jeanette, do you work with people in the medical community around the world,
1: vegan doctors? Actually, in 2018, we had a collaboration at one of our conferences with the health-based professionals in the UK. I don't know if you've heard of Shireen Kassam. She she leads up the health-based professionals. So we had a, a joint conference together. And that was really wonderful because all the medical professionals were in the Lunch queue with all the the vegan participants of the vegan rights conference. So it was great to have that networking opportunity. And um, we've also had this year a VegMed. I don't know if you know about VegMed. It goes on in in Germany. It's a it's a pro veg initiative, and they get all the plant based doctors together and they have a big conference. And we've had one in in London this year. So I've met some of them, but it I don't not in my everyday practice because I'm more focused on dealing with. Um, vegan vegans and their and issues,
0: Astrid. I'm wondering how this affects you emotionally because you can feel very alone in your journey. Are you experiencing that? Where are your friends and your family on your position?
2: Well, first of all, I feel a lot better since I've decided to bring my case to justice. Um, I've had a lot of hesitations to do this, obviously, because I was afraid that it would put a bad light on me given to given my exams and everything like this. But actually, before I decided to bring my case to justice and when I was experiencing that everyone was telling me you have to use animal products and like this, I even had a period when bulimia came back because I was so stressed. And then last year, it was not about bulimia, but I was just unable to study. I couldn't study anything about this exam because when I tried to study, all the words were just, well, kind of mingling in front of my eyes. I couldn't study. Every time I saw a word with animal products, I was just thinking how unfair this was. So this was the bad thing happening to me but when i decided to bring my case to justice then it was like i had a goal i had a yeah i had something to to work on so everything went better this was right before the exam actually but for one week i was a bit i was able to study because i had this goal so this like unblocked a lot of things for me and since i decided this well most of my friends Well, my family, most of them, they are not so much aware of what I'm doing now. (laughs) I told some of them, but not all of them. My friends are really, really supportive. Uh, There's just one friend who really don't understand, really doesn't understand why I'm doing this. And she's vegan, but she was telling me, like, just do as you're told just for one day and like this. So, yeah, she doesn't understand, but whatever.
0: (laughs) I can understand other people in the dietitian program doing what they're told just to get to the end and then they could preach as they wanted to afterwards and there is some benefit to that but what you're doing is bigger is bigger than that and will help so many more people once you succeed i'm curious about your legal team who is involved
2: well um first of all i was in contact with um with a lawyer in geneva uh, so that's in Switzerland not in France and first of all when I decided to bring my case to justice I put him in cc of uh, my emails with the administration and first he told me that he would take my case but then he realized it was too complicated because it's two different countries and the laws are not the same so he have he has some contacts in Paris and he advised me with, uh, with another lawyer who could take my case so that's how I found my lawyer thanks to him and he's He is taking a very big case right now for vegan rights, uh, which is in the European Court of Human Rights right now to make uh, veganism recognized, vegan meals recognized as a right for everybody. So this is a French lawyer? Uh, Well, my lawyer is French and the lawyer I'm talking about is uh, from Switzerland. Right, but the
0: lawyer that you have who's French, I'm curious about this person and what their beliefs are. They're not vegan
2: they're not vegan well actually i've not talked that much with the uh, with him about what his beliefs are but he defends me really well and there is a uh, well we just gave uh, this uh, observation it was a tw- 23 pages observations with a lot of things and it was really really good actually he really um, argued in favor of veganism with a uh, with a great uh, with great beliefs And he even found some uh, some things that the administration shouldn't have done. He said that, for example, the person who decided that I could not cook with vegan ingredients did not have the right to do this, given given his position.
0: Well, it must be very challenging for your French lawyer to be working with you. And maybe that's part of his motivation, the challenge, right?
2: Yes, possibly. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think he's vegan because there are not many vegans in France, but maybe he's vegetarian, but I don't know about this.
0: There are vegans in France. And I remember, I, th- I think it was uh, er, the early 2000s, the Veggie Pride Parade happened. And I don't know if it's still going on, but it went on for a number of years. And I was blown away when I discovered it because I thought I was the only vegan who was living in France. And all of a sudden, all of these vegans came out of the closet in France. And uh, their approach to the Veggie Pride parade was very intense. These were strong animal rights activists. These these were ethical vegans. These weren't just vegans for health or anything like that. They were angry and they were presenting the very dark side of what goes on that nobody wants to know about. So they're there, and this was some twenty years ago, so I imagine there are a lot more since then
2: yeah, sure there there are some vegans, but still in society, I think we are less than one percent, so that's not that's not huge, but still, yeah, there are some vegans, obviously right and they they should have rights, and there are
0: certainly in the cities at least in France, um more restaurants have vegan options, and there are actually some real vegan restaurants that exist so all of that is very encouraging and should help you somehow along the way. Tamara, I'm just curious during our conversation, if, uh, if there's anything that's come to mind that you think we should cover.
3: Well, I'm thinking back to part one, actually, and um, Jerry's case, Jerry Friedman's case that you, um, you had Jerry on last week and um, you know, his case is, as you recall, uh, was not successful, but even in america, there there are glimmers of hope. And I'm thinking particularly about um the Orange County bus driver, Bruce Anderson, um, whose case looked extremely optimistic, um meaning, that his veganism would have been recognized under Title VII as a as a protected religion. Um, Mr. Anderson, the bus driver, was told that he needed to hand out coupons for a new fast food joint that was going to uh, sell burgers. And he felt extremely uncomfortable and didn't want to hand out these coupons. So he requested Accommodation, um, and that accommodation would have taken the form of a basket where these coupons would have sat, so that people entering or exiting the bus could just take a coupon if they um, ate burgers. But he was dismissed from his job, and he sued, um, and his case was was going very well. This was the 1990s, um, and he settled before the court uh, before the court reached a, a determination on his Title VII claim. Um, And then subsequently, there was a case of uh, Sakila Chanzira, and that was in the Southern District of Ohio. Now, that's a 2012 case. Um, Ms. Chanzira was a hospital administrator um, and a customer service rep, and she did not want to take a vaccine. Again, it looked like that court in Ohio would have determined that her ethical veganism deserved the protection of a religion, but she settled her case as well mm. before the court actually ruled on that issue. So, I did want to to add these um, these uh, glimmers of hope and and you know um, the silver lining to Mr. Uh, Friedman's case.
0: Okay, I'm curious, and I, I'm not sure if it's different around the world, but is there a difference in law in terms of precedent if people settle versus going to trial and and its impact on future cases?
3: Well, if you settle something, then there isn't a precedence. and um and precedence is pretty geographical, right? I mean, it it the higher up you go, the the broader the precedence is. so so if you're, Appealing um, if you if you lose on your local at your local level and then you appeal that case and you win um, in this case let's say under First Amendment or under Title Seven if you win that recognition that veganism should be a recognized albeit secular religion and should be protected as a religious belief then that would have precedence um, in the area in which you got that decision. Now, obviously, if you got a decision like that at the Supreme Court, then it would set enormous precedence throughout the land.
0: Hmm. I want to get back to Astrid and your focus on animal rights or, or your focus on your belief as being something that should be respected versus looking at veganism for health. Because I'm imagining that someone might say, it doesn't matter what you believe, it's necessary to consume animals for survival. Will they throw that back at you? And have you considered that?
2: Well, they didn't, actually. Um, That's that's funny, because many people in France still believe this, but they didn't bring this uh, argument on the table. But the argument they gave me was, first of all, that it was not possible to adapt the exam, and the the administra- the administration said it was compulsory for every student to cook the same recipe. but actually what I told them is that they could either give me another recipe, or they could give me the same recipe, but with adapted ingredients, with vegan ingredients. I mean, I I can cook a bourguignon, a vegan bourguignon. If you give me the right ingredients, I can make it vegan. But if you only give me beef to cook the bourguignon, I cannot cook it, cook it because I won't touch the beef. That's it. So that was one argument. And also with my teachers, One of of my teachers told me, yes, that you should be able to adapt yourself to every patient, and all of your patients won't be vegans, so you should be uh, able to adapt yourself to everyone. Well, first of all, knowing how to cook beef or chicken or whatever won't help me to adapt to my my patients. And then the reverse case is not true. like omnivore, well, doctors or uh, dietitians who are not vegans are totally ignorant of veganism. And usually what they tell vegan patients is you should eat meat and you should eat dairy. Otherwise, you will have uh, a lot of uh, lacking nutrients and you will die in the end and like this. So that's not fair on this end either.
0: You are not just courageous, but you're very smart.
2: We need people Thank like
0: you. you. Yes. Jeanette, I'm wondering, uh, does that get confused in some of these vegan cases, this thing where humans need to consume
1: animals? Uh, no, I haven't I've come across a case where a vegan is uh, oh. requesting accommodation and then they met with this kind of argument. I think in the UK we're probably a bit more ahead. So we've had um, vegan accommodation for some time now. So if a parent of a school pupil isn't happy because the be- the quality of the vegan food isn't very good, the argument isn't so much about there is no vegan food. It's more about I've had baked potato and beans three times this week and it's not good enough. You know, so so <laughs> it's more in the beginning. It was all about the public sector must provide food for vegans. It was all about provide food for vegans because they weren't. But after many, many years now, and obviously we. We have it established and confirmed in Equality Law that we we are protected. It's more about quality now, the quality of the food.
0: Astrid, are there vegan groups in France? I know there are some animal rights groups, but for example, we have meetups. I don't know if meetups is a thing outside of the United States.
2: We have some vegan organizations. There, there is obviously uh, L214, L214 that L 214, is very well known uh, and that revealed a lot of, uh, of things in the slaughterhouses. Uh, there is the AVF, the French Vegetarian Association, which is actually vegan but still kept vegetarian to be more inclusive and because, uh, you know, vegan afraid, uh, well, makes people very afraid. So they kept vegetarian. Um, there is also uh, one organization I used to work with, uh, FuturaSo. I was a volunteer. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like um, a web media. They make a lot of videos to, uh, to make veganism well spread. And I used to make some, um, you know, like some broadcasting news with, uh, with them. And it was about the animal cause and what was happening with the animals. So, yeah, we have some vegan organizations.
0: Good. So I'm I'm just curious. Is there anything regular vegans who aren't fighting for anything? They're just <laughs> refusing to eat animals and living their life. And anything that we can be doing that can be helping Astrid in France or people around the world to move our philosophy forward.
2: Sorry, yeah, I just wanted to say, for me right now, I'm okay, let's say. I think if uh, my case goes to the European Court of Human Rights, I will need some support, some financial support. But actually, there is this case right now in the European Court of Human Rights. I am totally supporting. Uh, this is the story of Matthias, and uh, this is uh, supported by the lawyer Olivier Peter. And we have a crowdfunding going on for, for this because we need a lot of money actually to bring it to the to an international court so yes this is very important for for vegan for veganism and for animals' rights in the end
0: i suppose you could share a link with me to the crowdfunding site maybe some yes, folks sure. would like to donate to that like i said last week tamara it's not only this show is called it's all about food but it's also it's all about money and you can get a lot more done if you have the funding it to support
3: is. your fight, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, the lawyers are doing a lot of pro bono work, and and um, you know, I tip my hat to to some excellent attorneys who who are really fighting a good fight from their conscience and for free. So
0: we just have a little time left, and I I wondered, could you share some happy stories, uh, Astrid, in your vegan journey? Things, some something joyful just curious not not too much of a struggle but just an accomplishment perhaps or something happy
2: sure well i became a volunteer in a sanctuary like a little bit more than one year ago and this was a big discovery for me actually to work with well what we call farmed animals because for a long time, even if I didn't want to harm these animals, I thought it was not possible to have the same relationship with a pig or with a cow than what you have with a dog or with a cat. And over there, I discovered that they are just the same. When you don't have this domination link with, with these animals, they they ask for a hug, they are lovely. And so, yeah, this was a big discovery for me. And this was... Yeah, wonderful. And so maybe I can give the name of the sanctuary. It's called Coexiste. Uh, it's like coexistence in uh, in Switzerland. And it's founded by a wonderful woman who, who did so many things for animals. She liberated animals, then she founded the sanctuary. And now she also helps um, breeders, like uh, animal farmers, to transform. So this is mm. wonderful.
0: There aren't any sanctuaries in France, are there?
2: There are some some small sanctuaries, hmm. and transformation is not a thing yet here. But I will try to bring it here. All right,
0: Jeanette, tell me some joyful, happy stories on the route well, towards veganism.
1: Um, oh well, I've been vegan too long. I'm too old, so I can't remember life before that. But <laughs> the the thing about um, the work I do, it's it's all-consuming all, all consuming and it's it's just all the time and constant. So I don't really think about my own experiences that much. I, I work a lot with vegans and I I have a lot of successes. And, um, it, you know, for me, it's all about their journey and how they've been in because people can gradually become very affected by their, ex- their negative experiences. They get very stressed. They become very anxious. They can even be signed off work on sick leave because they've suffered for too long quietly and they don't realize how slowly this anxiety and stress builds up and it leads to depression so so helping them win their cases and making sure they get a good deal and accommodation of needs is so satisfying and fulfilling for me and I, I want that for every vegan and you know every day there's something positive in my life and that's 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 my happiness and where are you located I'm near Manchester in the UK not i'm not in manchester that's my closest city
0: okay and are there some good vegan restaurants where you live
1: well there are but I, I tend not to eat out that much because i tend to eat too much if i go out the food's always so good and so right. much better than i prefer for myself so i try not to eat out too much because i end up eating too many calories that, so.
0: that's a really good point yeah I've been vegan for 35 years and vegetarian for longer. And I remember in the beginning, it was such a celebration when I would see in a grocery store or, or something in a restaurant that was decadent Absolutely. vegan, you know, but oh, now it's, so it's it, but now they're everywhere. And ask. I suppose that's a good yeah. thing, but it's, it's too yeah. tempting and it's, yeah <laughs> it's too easy.
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah.
0: And what about in France? Where are you located, Astrid?
2: Well, actually, right now, I'm in the southwest near Po, but I live, well, between the southwest and the northeast. That's like a diagonal. Uh, But most vegan restaurants are in Paris. There are some very good good restaurants in Paris. Outside of Paris, there are not so many of them. So we still have a lot of work to do here.
0: Well, I was in Aix-en-Provence last year, and there's a vegan bakery that is
2: amazing.
0: And there's a small vegan restaurant which just blew me away i think it seats about 24 25 people and the chef does everything he prepares the meals he serves the meals he cleans up it's a one man show it's it's just a fascinating thing just to be just to watch him work this restaurant is called la cabane en ville and the bakery that i spoke about before in aix-en-provence is called instant v instant V in English. So there are lots of little things popping up everywhere. I remember when I lived in France, I would go to Lebanese restaurants because it was always easy to find a variety of healthy vegan food. Tamara, thank you for introducing me to these fabulous
3: people. Aren't they great? I gotta say, love them. They're, They're just such heroes. So thank you very much for inviting us.
0: Well, you know, it's so easy to read the newspapers and the headlines, which are so alarming and depressing and not have hope. And there's there are many wonderful things going on, and we need to focus on them. And we need to focus on these good people that are fighting the good fight to make
3: this world a better place. Absolutely. I I heartily agree with you. And I'm very happy that Astrid and Jordy, Jerry and Matias, they're all going to be part of an October 17th webinar that the National Lawyers Guild Animal Rights Committee is putting together. It's a free webinar. We're examining the growing discrimination against vegans and how vegans are defending themselves, how they're fighting back, it's an international webinar. Five different countries are are involved, wow. um, and so I encourage your listeners to register on Eventbrite. I'll provide you with the link, and please do come October seventeenth from noon to one Eastern time. So that's my joyous experience. It's been marvelous meeting and speaking to these courageous courageous people. They are really moving the ball forward, and I am in such admiration of them. So wonderful.
0: I also want to compliment Astrid for speaking English so well, and I'm not sure how that came about, but English is this somewhat universal language where we can all communicate to each other. So thank you for that.
2: Yeah, thank you very much.
0: <laughs> I also wanted to mention just briefly, I started a vegan podcast in French this year. With a woman in France, and we haven't promoted it yet. We're just um recording our episodes, and we want to have like a foundation of episodes before we launch it and promote it. And perhaps sometime in the future, we can talk to you about your work, Astrid en français and <laughs> <laughs> avec
2: pl- avec plaisir.
0: <laughs> because um, from my experience so long ago in France, I had no community. And with this woman I'm working with now, she lives in a small town in the Provence and she really feels like alone. And I think there are a lot of places around the country and maybe outside and other French speaking places where people are waking up and need a community and we can have a community online.
2: Sure, this would be great. And you can contact me anytime for, for this new podcast.
0: Okay, very good. Well, I look forward to following your case and really sincerely wish you the very, very best. Yeah, right. We're all putting our hands in prayer here. (laughs) Dr. Jeanette Raleigh, thank you for joining us. Astrid Prevost, thank you. Tamara Bedik, thank you. I really enjoyed
3: speaking with you. You're wonderful, Karen. Thank you so much for having us.
0: Thank you. Enjoy your days wherever you are. And I hope to meet you all in person at some point. Give you a
1: big hug. Thank you. Thank you. Bye for okay, now. Okay.
0: Bye-bye. Yeah. Ciao.
1: Thanks. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for joining me today, everybody. I really appreciate you being there and caring about our planet and our food choices. Thank you. I'll say it again. Thank you. I'm Karen Hartglass. You can find more about me at Responsible Eating and Living, the nonprofit I co-founded with my partner, Gary DiMattei. You can send comments to my email, info at realmeals.org. Next week, we're going to be talking about menopause and all that's wrapped around that before and after it happens. And this is... A program for everybody. And guess what? The way we experience menopause is connected to our food choices. So we'll be talking about that. And I hope you'll join me then. In the meantime, everybody, have a delicious week. Bye-bye.